Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Murder Homes is a production of iHeart Podcasts. July 13, 2011, it seemed like any summer morning in Coronado, California. Waiters swept crumbs off the white tablecloths of the Grand Victorian Hotel del Coronado and refreshed tourist coffee cups. Surfers paddled into the first pale blue swells of the day, and the first batches of sunbathers wandered down to the beach, umbrellas and coolers in hand. But that early morning tranquility was soon broken by the clattering sound of a police helicopter hovering over a sprawling mansion that overlooked the ocean. Soon, three other news helicopters joined in the cloudless blue sky, their cameras trained on the nude body of a young woman lying in the courtyard below, her wrists still bound with bright red polypropylene rope. The young woman who was found in the courtyard was named Rebecca Zhao, a Burmese-American immigrant who was 32 years old. She'd been found hanging from a wrought iron balcony at the mansion where she'd been staying by herself the previous night, except for one other person, who was sleeping in the guest home. His name was Adam Shacknai, and he was the brother of Rebecca's boyfriend, Jonah. Adam had flown in the day before because of a family emergency. Jonah's son, Max, had fallen from the second-floor staircase of the mansion and critically injured himself. Rebecca had picked Adam up at the airport because Jonah had been keeping vigil by his son's bedside in the hospital. The grand home known as Spreckle's Mansion, for the sugar company tycoon who'd commissioned it, is a 10-bedroom mansion that boasts one of the best locations in San Diego County. Directly across the street from the beach, the historic home offers glorious views of the Pacific Ocean. Boasting high wood-beam ceilings, wrought iron balconies, and red tile roofing, the 10,500-square-foot mansion is considered one of the architectural jewels of Coronado. Now, it is known as the location of Rebecca Zhao's mysterious death. 
This is Murder Homes. I'm Matt Murdovich. According to Rebecca's autopsy report, her ankles had been bound and her arms tied behind her back. A black t-shirt used to gag her mouth. The death had been ruled a suicide. The moment the medical examiner made his determination, he set off a controversy that has continued to divide the Coronado community to this day. Authorities believe they had a credible motive for self-harm. Rebecca was distraught after Max, who she was caring for, had critically injured himself. Though she had told police she had tried to perform CPR on the critically injured boy, his condition was worsening at the time of her death. Her boyfriend and the boy's father, Jonah Shacknai, was in a state of shock. He had not returned to the mansion the night before Rebecca was found hanging. Only two people occupied the sprawling home that final night, Adam Shacknai and Rebecca. Just before she is said to have killed herself, Zhao had allegedly written the following words in black paint on the bedroom door that she had been using as her art studio inside the home. This is what it said. She saved him. Can he save her? The medical examiner said she had gagged herself, tied a rope around the bed, wrapped the other end of it around her neck, bound her feet and hands, and threw herself off the second floor balcony. Adam Shacknai had found her early in the morning of the 13th, hanging from the balcony in the rear courtyard. He was going to fetch an early morning cup of coffee when he saw her suspended lifeless, and then he told the police he cut her down. At the time of her death, Zhao's boyfriend, Jonah Shacknai, was CEO of Medicis Pharmaceuticals, a medical cosmetic company that was worth $2.6 billion. Jonah had purchased Spreckle's mansion in 2007. Rebecca and Jonah had met in 2008, when she was still married and working as an ophthalmic technician. She got along well with his son, Max, to the point where the boy's mother became a little jealous. In terms of her past, there was one notable event that occurred a year after she had met Jonah. She had shoplifted $1,000 worth of jewelry from a Macy's in Phoenix, Arizona. It was strange because she was a year into a relationship with a man who was the ninth wealthiest CEO in the state. I spoke to Caitlin Crother, author of Death on Ocean Boulevard, the New York Times bestselling book about the Rebecca Zhao case. A native of San Diego, Caitlin's interest was immediately piqued by the mysterious death. Here's what Caitlin told me. I think one thing is that it, pretty much everyone that comes up to me says she was definitely murdered. Nobody wants to believe that a woman would do this to herself. That's what I hear primarily over and over again. A woman would never do this to herself. Caitlin spoke to Jonah Shacknai, Rebecca's boyfriend, a number of times as research for her book. She said that her interviews with him left her with more questions than answers. Jonah, I interviewed eight times on Skype for an hour and a half, two hours each time. And that was right before I was about to turn the book in. So I had to go back in and rewrite a bunch of stuff, change a bunch of stuff. But it was great because he was her boyfriend and he knew her really well. And what he told me basically showed that she was not the person that her family really thought she was. That's what she showed them, but she had other parts to her that she showed other people. She told different stories to different people about the same thing that happened, but everybody got a different version. He says now that he thinks that she killed herself, but initially 
He was more concerned that somebody might be after him because he didn't think she would have done this to him the way that she did it because it would have brought such embarrassment to him and it was causing his stock to fall because he looked like he was a suspect and he actually asked the sheriff's department, can't you publicly declare that I'm not a suspect? Which is what caused people to believe that he was asking for special treatment and that the sheriff's department gave him special treatment. And that's where this case really took off. We'll be back after a short break. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I've studied, I learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. Just this week, a neighbor across the street told me that at 8 in the morning, he had seen three men run down the block and beat and rob a man who was carrying a bag of tools. I always think of this as a safe neighborhood, but I have to admit, I don't have that feeling 100% of the time. That's why I feel a little bit more at peace knowing that Simply Safe, with its entry sensor, motion detectors, and cameras, is always on the lookout for me. Simply Safe was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by the U.S. News and World Report, and it's backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than one dollar a day. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/homes. That's simplysafe.com/homes. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. back with murder homes. After the medical examiner ruled Zhao's death a suicide, authorities considered the case closed, but if they hoped this would make it go away, they were mistaken. From the moment TV helicopters had hovered over Spreckle's mansion, filming her nude body on the grass, the case became a favorite of true crime buffs and internet sleuths. The Zhao family, who always felt their daughter was murdered, were also infuriated, and they finally got their day in court. Although it was a civil trial, they were still finally able to face the man who they believed had murdered Rebecca in cold blood, Adam Shacknai, Jonah Shacknai's beloved brother. Even the sheriff, Bill Gore, admitted that he understood the public's skepticism about what had happened at Spreckle's mansion. 
It's an unusual case, he said. It lends itself to conspiracy theories. There were many areas of concern, but these were quickly distilled into the six biggest mysteries about Rebecca's death. Just like the knots found on Rebecca's body, they tended to tighten as more and more experts pulled on them in an effort to untangle fact from fiction. The first mystery is how had Rebecca managed to tie her arms behind her own back before leaping to her death? I asked Caitlin what she knew about this. So there's a lot to do with the knots during the trial and also what Adam told me in an interview on the witness stand. He said, you know, yes, I'm a tugboat captain, but I don't know how to tie these knots. And he told me afterwards he was upset with his attorneys because he felt like they were complicated knots when the attorneys tried to make it sound very simple, like a bird or a monkey could tie these knots. And so Adam basically said, you know, I have to take these tests, but I don't know how to tie these knots. And in fact, I did some research and I think that they're this Japanese erotic bondage art form. And so my question is, who in this case knows about bondage because it's a weird way to be tied up. I mean, if she did it to herself, where would she get that idea? There's nothing on her computer that showed she ever did any research into this. I asked Jonah Shackney straight out, did you guys have this in your relationship? He says, not with me. So (laughs) that's one of the mysteries. But when we were in trial, this house expert did this super complicated series of knots and said, this is how I think they were done. I've examined the knots because they saved them. They pulled them off her body and put them on cardboard tubes. And the sheriff's department also did a video to show that this is how it could have been done. He said, whatever the sheriff did was a much more simplified version of what was actually on her body. Caitlin's mention of the possibility that the knots found on Rebecca's wrists and ankles might have been tied to a Japanese bondage form got me thinking. What if they were? And who might I ask? I decided I had to talk to someone who knew a lot about knots and rope play and Japanese bondage, or more specifically, a type of rope play in the BDSM community called shibari. Shibari is the act of restricting the mobility of the human body with the help of thin ropes. These thin ropes are known as asanawa. I connected with one of the most renowned practitioners of shibari, a Russian named Maxim Kalahari, whose invite-only bondage workshops in far-flung exotic locales like Goa have become infamous. He spoke to me from Indonesia with his girlfriend translating. So with Rebecca Zhao, did you get a chance to look at the photographs? Yes, 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 I see photos. Is it possible that that kind of knot would be used in rope play or BDSM? He said that for sure this knot is done not by professional. That's very interesting. Is it something that's ever used in rope play or bondage? He says that this knot looks like the knot that could be done by a person who do it first time or done not often. So it's not professional one. 
But to go back to the question, in the community, I'm going to say role play is part of maybe BDSM, right? Have you ever seen it used like a clove hitch knot as far as with shibari or with role play? No, no, it's not shibari. In shibari, we always tie tie double ropes. We don't tie single ropes. The person who has done this do it very quickly. That's really interesting. He was in hurry or the model give uh, resistance. It was like a role play. She played like she wanted to escape or not. We don't know. He can think about three reasons. Uh, he never uh, do this before. Or he was in hurry, very in hurry. Or she did some resistance. Without any knowledge about how to do and practice, he thinks that it's impossible to do herself behind the back. The highly staged nature of the alleged suicide, the intricate binding of wrists, ankles, the gag in the mouth, the nudity, it did seem beyond the capability of a highly distraught suicidal person. Seven years later, at a civil trial, Rebecca Zao's family finally had the feeling there might be some closure. The jury listened as Rebecca's family lawyer walked them through the final hour again, sketching out what he had believed happened. A handwriting expert was brought to the stand to testify that the message painted on the door fit Shackney's handwriting pattern. A knot-tying expert was brought into the courtroom to demonstrate that the knots were most likely tied by someone other than Zhao. He leaned over a mannequin draped with a white sheet, and jurors watched him retie the same knots that had bound Rebecca. He tightened the rope in figure eights and explained the clove hitch and overhand knots. Adam Shacknai, the lawyer pointed out, was well-versed in the use of knots, of which the clove hitch was one. He was a tugboat captain on the Mississippi River. Adam Shacknai's lawyer countered that his client's DNA had never been found on the rope, not one strand of it. Is it conceivable that it might have been wiped down? Or, as Caitlin Rother suggested when we spoke, that someone could have used gloves? Sure, that was a theoretical possibility, but nothing else connected him to the bedroom where Rebecca had spent her last moments. A sheriff's investigator would later demonstrate how Rebecca could slip one hand out, hold both hands behind her back, slip her loose hand back into the knot, and tighten it. Which brings us to the second mystery of the Zhao case, the seven words Rebecca had allegedly painted on the bedroom door. She saved him, can you save her? The plaintiff's lawyer contended that they had been left by Adam Shacknai after the handwriting analyst left the stand. Adam Shacknai's lawyer countered that a murderer wouldn't want to draw attention to himself by leaving a message on the wall. He told the jury that the cryptic message would have been left by Rebecca, who was not in a rational state of mind. The message itself, to me, is tantalizing. It both makes sense and doesn't. She saved him contradicts what actually happened, considering that Rebecca told Jonah she was in the bathroom at the moment Max had fallen from the second floor staircase. Can you save her is even more mysterious. Is she talking about Max or Jonah or someone else? Or is this really Adam's handwriting trying to throw police off his track? Adam Shacknai, the younger devoted brother, would have felt enraged too after seeing his nephew, six-year-old Max, in critical condition at the hospital. Would he have felt so overwhelmed with anger that he waited until Rebecca fell asleep that night? 
Could he have bludgeoned her unconscious, bound her, gagged her, and thrown her over the balcony, watching her swing just a few feet from the lush, manicured grass, her toenails painted a glossy red? What did the seven words, painted in black on the door, she saved him, can he save her, mean? And is it conceivable that someone besides Rebecca had left them there? Here's what Caitlin told me. Nobody is willing to say what that message really means because nobody really knows. But she came from a religious family. She had a religious upbringing. You, can you save her, could be God. I heard one theory that she was angry with Jonah, which is reflected in the note, as I mentioned, and that maybe this was a message to him, that what she did to herself, if it was a suicide, that she was angry at him and wanted to embarrass him. So, I mean, you, I don't know if you use Jonah, is you God? Is you the killer? I mean, who is it? We don't know who it is. But the fact of the matter is, it's a very strange message. The strokes with the paint look pretty angry. There have been other people who are staging scene experts who say the whole scene was angry. She was placed in this demeaning position with her hands tied behind her, her ankles bound. The house attorney also suggested that she may have been hogtied previously. Yes. The mm-hmm. lividity of her body and the way the blood is positioned only on one side of the body and not in her feet where it should have been when she was hanging. There's so many things with this. The fact that she wasn't decapitated, if she really fell with that force, nine feet jumping off, why wasn't she decapitated from the force of it? Why did she only have these minor injuries with the cartilages? Very similar injuries, by the way, with Jeffrey Epstein. And then there's the third mystery. The latex glove and menstrual blood found on a knife in the bedroom. A latex glove was found in a crawl space under the guest house where Adam was staying. Was this evidence that Adam had used the glove to hide his fingerprints? The defense stressed that there were no visible signs that the latex glove made contact with any surface at 1043 Ocean Boulevard, including the bedroom where Zhao spent her final moments. The Zhao family attorney said that a knife had been found in Rebecca's bedroom with menstrual blood on the handle. He said that this was evidence that it was inserted into her body in a sexual assault. The medical examiner's office found no evidence of a sexual assault. The fourth mystery is Rebecca's blunt force injuries. Four blunt force injuries were found on Rebecca's head in the autopsy. The prosecution maintained these wounds were caused after Rebecca jumped off the balcony and subsequently hit her head on the balcony floor as she swung back and forth. The lawyer representing Zhao's family had this theory. Adam had hit her over the head with a blunt object, rendering her semi or fully unconscious, molested her, and then hogtied her with the bright red rope, carrying her over to the balcony, cutting the part of the rope that connected hands and feet, then threw her off the balcony, the rope instantly snapping taut around the foot of the bed. In this version, Adam knows full well what he'll find when he emerges from the guest house in the morning. He takes his sweet time cutting her down, and she lands with a stiff thud. He stands over her and starts getting into character for the call he has to place to 911. The fifth mystery, the call to 911. The call Adam Shacknight makes to 911 is unnerving, and not just because he's audibly distraught. He tells the dispatcher that he's got a girl who hung herself, but when asked for the address, draws a blank, twice giving the dispatcher the wrong address before telling her he'll have to call her back. When he finally manages to give the dispatcher the right address of his own brother's home and the place he's been staying, 
He seems unable to come up with the most basic details of who the dead woman is, telling the dispatcher, quote, she came yesterday to pick up a little boy. Caitlin Crowther finds other things Adam did that morning also a little unnerving. He had woken up, 6.15, said he felt some nervous energy, so he pleasured himself while looking at porn on his cell phone and then took a shower. So no DNA in his hands, supposedly, right? And then, you know, took her down, left the knife on the grass. They found none of his DNA on the knife that he said he used to cut her down. Okay. None of his DNA anywhere. He also admits that he took Ambien. And I don't know if you've ever taken Ambien, but I have. And it it does make you kind of confused. In fact, there's this whole mm-hmm. defense that some people have used that they've done things when they've taken Ambien that they don't remember. And it leaves you in this weird dreamlike state. Let's examine the sixth mystery, the missing voicemail. The day prior to her death, Rebecca picked up Adam at the airport. She then ate dinner with the two brothers before returning to the mansion with Adam. Jonah returned to his vigil at Max's bedside. Someone had called Rebecca just hours before her death and left a message, a voicemail that was never recovered, but that many felt had been left by Jonah Shacknai at his dying son's bedside in the hospital, and that he was calling to inform Rebecca about his son's grim prognosis. I asked Caitlin about the missing voicemail. When I asked Jonah about it, Jonah said that, and he told the sheriff's department the same thing, that he called to leave her a message saying that he had talked to the doctor, and the best prognosis for Max was that he would never walk or talk again. And what he told me was he wished he'd not left that message because she didn't call back. And she always called him back. And so he was worried about her. Her family say, well, there's no proof what he said because the message was deleted and was never recovered. Either the sheriff's department waited too long to try to recover it from the provider or... They were very angry about that. And there's no way to prove what that message said. Could this have finally broken her mentally? After all, Jonah, who she was in love with, had entrusted Max to her. The worst possible thing had happened. And she would have felt that he would always hold her responsible. Any reasonable adult would have felt despondent at that moment, knowing that a child under their care would never walk or talk again. Or was Adam Shacknai, the younger devoted brother, so enraged after seeing six-year-old Max in critical condition that he was gripped by a need for revenge? Did he wait until Rebecca fell asleep that night, then bludgeon her unconscious, bind her, gag her, and throw her over the balcony? We'll be back after a short break. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. We're back with Murder Homes. In 2018, a stunning verdict was announced. The civil jury had decided 9-3 to three that Adam Shacknai had battered Rebecca with the intent to harm. But then, in another twist, the judgment was thrown out a year later as a settlement was reached with Adam Shacknai's insurance company. It seems the insurance company had grown tired of paying the mounting cost of his legal bills and had hoped that a figure of $10 million might satisfy the family. Despite the settlement, closure for Rebecca Zhao has remained elusive. To add further insult, the Sheriff's Department ruled in 2018 for a second time that Zhao had committed suicide. Sheriff Gore said, There is no evidence that Rebecca Zhao died at the hands of another. Leaning toward a cluster of microphones and a podium, he then told reporters that all of the evidence pointed to the one logical conclusion, and that was suicide. Rebecca's family attorney, Keith Greer, had something to say about that finding. He called the sheriff's review incompetent and said that his team, quote, gave the same stupid answers that a civil jury rejected. Adam Shacknai had his own terse statement. He said there is no evidence to support an outcome that had anything to do with Rebecca Zhao's death. Twelve years after Rebecca Zhao was found hanging from the balcony at Spreckel's mansion, her cause of death is as hotly debated as ever. The Zhao family continues to try to clear her name as does Adam Shacknai, who says his reputation has been ruined. Crowther says that her book continues to be a bestseller at the Coronado Bookstore, 
and she passes by 1043 Ocean Boulevard whenever she is in the area. But she says it bears no resemblance to the place it once was. So they basically planted a bunch of palm trees out in front, you know, try to make it less vulnerable looking maybe. They did all kinds of landscaping. I thought it looked pretty nice. And the next owner came in, ripped all that out again, (laughs) did a bunch of interior remodeling. And then another person bought it during the lockdown. And now it looks completely different. It looks like a house out of Miami. It doesn't look anything like it used to. So talking about a stigmatized house, this definitely was one. You can understand a new owner's desire to renovate a murder home until every room looks brand new. But the fact remains that Rebecca Zhao keeps calling us back inside, to the bedroom, where someone painted the message on the door. She invites us back into that bedroom to see the bright red rope, to imagine the knots that were meticulously tightened around her wrist before she ran towards the railing of the balcony or was pushed early that morning. Her suicide or murder was so elaborately staged that it ensured one thing. It will most likely never be forgotten. Toward the end of my interview with Caitlin, she offered another anecdote about Zhao that has nagged at me. It's vital to what happened at 1043 Ocean Boulevard because one of the most sensitive questions about this case is whether Rebecca was mentally ill. It turned out when she was married, she had another boyfriend before Jonah. When she suddenly decided to end things, she did so in a very disturbing way. She was never diagnosed with any mental illness, but the sheriff's department, part of the reason they said that they ruled it a suicide, were these notes on her phone, which were written sort of as a journal entry. They looked more like letters that you would write to yourself. This is actually a psychological therapeutic technique to kind of work through your own issues. Anyway, one of them was apparently to Jonah, and she was angry at him. And there was another one, maybe the same one, but she was depressed. She was crying. She couldn't sleep. So that's what they cited when they said that they thought she killed herself. But there's another story which also contributed to her state of mind. She was with this man who I interviewed also for the book. And He thought they were boyfriend, girlfriend. She was living with him for a time. She said she was going through a divorce from her husband when, in fact, nobody had filed any paperwork. (laughs) So she basically disappeared, didn't come home from work one day. And he reported her missing to the Glendale Police Department. And she kept calling him and saying, they've got me. They've got me blindfolded. They're driving me around in the back of a car. I don't know where I am. It sounded like she was in a bathroom. He's like, where are you? And she said, well, I'm using the bathroom. They let me go to the bathroom. So basically, she said she had to go back to her husband. And when she came back to see Michael briefly a couple days later, he says, we need to go to the police. And she says, I don't want to go to the police. But he insisted they go to the police. They go to the police station. She talks to the detectives by herself. They come back and you know, she's smiling. Everything's fine. He goes, okay, is it my turn now? I, w- I have some things I want to say. And they said, no, it's fine. You can go. Well, it turns out she told them that she was breaking up with him, but she hadn't told him yet. And so this is her way of breaking up with him by saying she was kidnapped. It's easy to see Rebecca in those moments as someone with a screw loose, a vulnerable soul who could seem highly imbalanced when she felt stressed about something. But just as I begin shifting my opinion slightly, begin to see her slipping one arm out of the knot she has tied in front of her, 
then holding her wrist behind her back and slipping the arm in again. I think of Adam Shacknai and his short fuse, the garbled 911 call, the precise attention one would need to pay to the elaborate knots that bound her, the absence of a previous suicide attempt, the deeply flawed police investigation, and I waver. Can you save her? It's a question that's still relevant, because whoever wrote those words is certain of one thing, that Rebecca's death has changed nothing. She's still waiting for an answer. In June 2013, Jonas Shacknai put the mansion where Rebecca died on the market, finally selling it for $9 million, far less than the asking price. This is Murder Homes. I'm Matt Marinovich. is created by and executive produced by Matt Marinovich. Executive producers are Jennifer Bassett and Taylor Shacoin. Story editor is Jennifer Bassett. Supervising producer is Carl Cadel. Producer is Evan Tyre. Sound design by Taylor Shacoin, Evan Tyre, and Carl Cadel. Special thanks to Ali Perry and Nikki Ator. Murder Homes is a production of iHeart Podcasts. For more shows from iHeart Podcasts, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G dot com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.